stuff. Praise the Lord. Um, but <clears throat> um, for the next few weeks, we've got a few brothers who are going to be sharing who you wouldn't normally necessarily see in a pulpit. Um, I won't give the game away, but over the next three or four weeks. And in one sense, it's, 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 it's a bit heartbreaking because a lot of people are going to be away, not going to get to hear them. But at the same time, it's a blessing because um, they probably feel quite nervous about speaking. And so maybe the fewer, the better. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> um, over the course of the next few, few weeks, with regards to those who are going to be sharing, we're going to be just doing topical messages, nothing fundamentally related. We're not looking at a book. We're not doing a series. Um, and so I'm taking opportunity today to start things off by talking about something that's quite random, quote unquote, um, yet hopefully going to be helpful. Um, today, uh, we're going to be looking in John chapter 3. So if you're inclined to turn there, do that now. Um, if not, I'm going to try and put the verses up on the screen f- to help us. And um, although hinder myself, Pastor, he was like, Pastor Rob, you ready? I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to get my transitions together. Like, boy, like putting the transitions together for the keynote sometimes is just as hard as putting the message. No, it's not as hard as putting the message together, but time consuming. And so as you're turning to John 3, today's message is called Snake Bite. I wanted something a little bit more snappy. Um, excuse the pun. I've never really intended that. But um, I couldn't get past this, so... Um, maybe I'll develop an idea when we get the podcast up. So snake bite, John chapter 3, and I'm just going to read a few verses, um, verse 11 to 15. So if you can join with me, that would be a blessing. Um, and then I'll share an illustration, then we're going to pray. So John 3, starting at verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, says the Lord Jesus, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Amen? Um, now, some of you may, probably most of you, if, but not all of you, are aware that I found my long-lost sister. Um, a bit like Pastor E a few years ago when he found mommy. You know what I'm saying? I found my long-lost I should really say she found me. Because at one point, I was looking for her about 10, 15 years ago. Couldn't find her. But basically, because she got married, changed her name, and it was virtually impossible to find her. So... Lo and behold, one day, Justine, I don't know if she's here, gives me a call after Sunday and says, oh, Pastor Rob, this person has called and they feel like they need to talk to you. And I'm like, really? I'm like, well, whoever it is, you know, they can actually wait because I've got a whole heap of things on my head right now. I just, like, they can go to the back of the queue. So a few days later, eventually, I thought, okay, I better just get back to this person, you know what I'm saying, who's tried to contact me. It's only courteous, right? And so phoned up the person, cut the long story short, it was the husband of my sister looking for me. And yeah, I think I might have talked about it previously. My, I really want to get to my point. My point is, um, we got together and um, you know, here's a picture of her. Some of you may have met her because she came to church like a week or two later. You know what I mean? I don't know if you can see the resemblance, but um, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and um, it's funny because what happened with her is for 45 years, I think she's about 55, I'm trying to give her age away, sorry sis, um, but she's like, she tends to listen to the podcast as well sometimes, um, for 45 years, <clears throat> I should say this first, it was a real happy story, you know what I mean, imagine meeting up with someone that you've never met before and they're your own flesh and blood, we sat, you know what I'm it's like, um, that was the good part. The sad part of the story is for 45 years of her life, she didn't realize that she had a very um, serious terminal disease, and it's called Huntington's disease. And um, she had it for 45 years completely unaware, you know what I'm saying? And about, about seven or eight years ago, I think this is when they started to look for me and my brother, um, they found out that she was ill. That, 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 that sped up the need for her to, to, to meet me and, and meet my brother. So, um, again, I got the opportunity to go see her, to go meet her, meet her husband. 
And um, this is me visiting her for the first time. And she couldn't stop crying. I don't think I did cry that time. It never hit me immediately. But, um, <clears throat> and, and, and the reason I share that is because... How I many of you know you can have a disease and be completely unaware of it? Until such a time when it manifests itself. Would you join me just as we pray? Father... Um, as we talk today about just this issue um, with regards to something that's taken place thousands of years ago, but not only has affected every single person throughout history, bar none, Lord, it, it has affected every single one of us sitting in this room. And I pray that you'd help me, Lord, as I try to tease out, Lord, um, that which is contained in your word that helps us to understand one, the severity and the seriousness of the disease called sin. And Lord, help us on a personal note to be aware of that. So that, Lord, we can get treatment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, <clears throat> how many of you know the Bible is a big book? Amen. That's if you still got the old ancient copy of the manuscripts, like a paper Bible. And um, how big is the Old Testament compared to the New Testament? Bigger, thank you, Harry. <laughs> Keep it simple. It's, mu it's, big. it's much bigger, you know what I'm saying? And you might ask the question, like, hey, Ellie, you might ask the question, why is the Old Testament so much bigger than the New Testament? And the New Testament is better, you know what I'm saying? Like, what's the deal? And sometimes you may, during your Christian life, have asked that question. Well, as I mentioned, the, the Bible itself is split into, into how many categories on a basic level? Two categories, right? The Old, as I mentioned, and the New Testament. Now, um, I don't know if you remember, but um, I had an opportunity to do communion like Pastor Bertram did today. But I talked about Leviticus 16 and talked a little bit about the difference between the Old and the New Testament on a very fundamental level. Does anybody remember the basic difference? Because it really helps. The Old Testament is... The, Old, the New Testament is sealed. The Old Testament is, yes, but that's, too, that's getting too complicated. On a really simple note, because I want to try and keep it moving this afternoon. On a, thank you, sis. On a simple note, the Old Testament had sacrifices, but they were what kind of sacrifices? Animal. The New Testament has a sacrifice, and it's what type of sacrifice? Human. That's one of the major differences and distinctions between the Old and the New Testament, right? Now, in the Old Testament, the animal often was either a ram, if you think about Genesis and Abraham and his son Isaac, or it might be a goat, like I mentioned in Leviticus 16, um, or it might be a lamb, like in Isaiah 53, references to, to as such. And, and how many of you know they all point to who? Jesus. You know what I'm saying? All of those sacrifices pointing to the ultimate sacrifice, who is Jesus. And what is crazy is Jesus says of himself exactly that. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus says, everything, notice, not some things, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. How many of you know Jesus is saying that he is where? In the Old Testament, right? And here in John... In a previous couple of chapters, Nathaniel finds Philip and he says to him, look, we found him of whom, notice, Moses in the law. Do you remember what the law is? First five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Maybe I better slow down a bit. The first five books of the Old Testament are called the Pentateuch. And that is what we call or is described as the law of Moses, Right? And he says, look, we found him, Jesus, of whom Moses in the law, in those books, and also the prophets, loads of them, right? Jesus of Nazareth, he's the one that they were writing about, the son of Joseph. Can you see Jesus is actually in the Old Testament? One more. And again, actually, you get clear confirmation from the Lord Jesus again in John 5, verse 39. He says to the scribes and the Pharisees, you search the what? Which scripture? Did they have the New Testament at that time? It hadn't even been written. So the Old Testament, you search the Old Testament scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's true. And it is they that bear witness about who? Me. <laughs> Yet 
you refuse to come to me that you may have what? Life. So life is found in Jesus. And Jesus is found in the whole of the Old Testament. So the whole of the Old Testament is talking about life and how to find it. And the New Testament explains, bam, there it is. It's found in who? It's found in Jesus. Now, John has a number of different types or pictures or unusual descriptions of Jesus throughout his book, right? Um, in chapter 1, Jesus is what? Verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1 in John. The Word of God. Amen. And then <clears throat> a little bit later in the book, what does John say about Jesus? He says, behold the who? The Lamb of God. Oh, Lamb, like in the Old Testament, who takes away now not just the sins of individuals, not just the sins of Israel, but the sins of the whole world, Jesus, right? And, and then in, in chapter 1, you get another picture. So he's the Word, so, but he's also the Lamb. At the end of John 1, guess what you see a picture of? Stairs? That's a clue. John chapter 1, the end? Jacob's ladder. Amen. So Jesus is also Jacob's ladder because he's, amen. He's the one who, he says, the angel, you will see the angels and, and, um, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's, that's talking about the ladder that Jacob saw. So can you see these different pictures that John uses to describe who Jesus is? Just turn me, just turn me down again a little bit more. Am I too loud? Because I feel, okay, amen. All right then. Um, so, <clears throat> could it be a bit louder? All right. So, so that's John 1. In John chapter 2, previous to our chapter that we're in now, right, we see Jesus described as what? All the Bible scholars. Come on now. What's Jesus described as? Jesus uses it as an, and he describes him. He says, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And they're like, what are you talking about? It took us X amount of years, 40 odd years to build this. You know? And then in parenthesis, John says, he weren't talking about that brick building. He was talking about his body. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it, it would be great to talk about the fact that Jesus is the new temple. We don't have time, but he is. You know what I'm saying? So don't go looking to Jerusalem to go look at the temple and the rebuilding of the temple. You know what I'm saying? Because that's done away with now. The new temple is Jesus and he's the foundation and we are the living stones built up, on, built up together. We make up that spiritual temple, that spiritual house. It's a spiritual temple. Can you see these pictures that describe Jesus? It's called typology. Yet when you get to John chapter 3, we have this very unusual picture. This very unusual type or illusion and... If it were not mentioned by Jesus himself, it would be very hard to accept this particular picture, you know what I'm saying, or even understand it, you know what I'm saying, if it never come from the lips of Jesus himself, yet we have the benefit of the Old Testament to refer back to and other New Testament references to help us. Now, what's this picture? What's, I just read it when we read John 3. What's this, what's this unusual, esoteric, mystical illusion? Anybody? Thank you, Bertram. You was listening as we were reading. Sometimes it's hard to listen and read at the same time. Sometimes it's hard to listen and look, maybe, <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> this very, very unusual picture of Jesus. Now, in John chapter, at the beginning of John chapter 1, Jesus has this um, meeting with who? Sorry, John chapter 3. At the beginning of John 3, Jesus had this meeting with who? Who's Jesus talking to in John 3? Nicodemus. And he's having this conversation with Nicodemus, and who's a ruler of the Jews. And, and it says, verse 1, that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So he's a big, like, he's very um, high up. He's, he's what else? He's a teacher, as we're going to see in a minute. He's someone who has great authority in Israel, right? This man came to Jesus, notice, by night, and said to him, Rabbi. Now, he comes by night because he doesn't want the other guys to see him because his boys hate Jesus. They're Pharisees, right? So he, he comes by night so they don't see him, we suspect. And he says to Jesus, he says, like, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. This sounds like they knew as well, but they didn't want to admit it. But I know you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Verse 3, Jesus answers him randomly like, what? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus could have been like, huh? That's got nothing to do with what, what, I'm, what I just said to you. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? It's like he plays into what Jesus said. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? That don't make no sense. And again, like, what's that got to do with my question? You know what I'm saying? Or my statement. Jesus answers, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is what? And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. So if you like, in one sense, Jesus is beginning to talk to him about the process through which a person goes to become a Christian, to come into right relationship with God, I should say, to become God's people. You know what I'm saying? Um, he goes on and Jesus says, verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus says to him, like, Lord, like, what are you talking about? How can these things be? Now, Jesus is referring to Old Testament verses. And what happens is um, Nicodemus kind of gets exposed. Jesus says, verse 10, like Missy said, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Now, he should have because these are in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, etc. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Jesus is like, I know what I'm talking about, right? And I'm bearing, bearing witness to something that I've seen. Now, again, this is reference to Jesus being ultra special and unique in his personhood, right? He says, like he says, before Abraham was, I am. That's unusual for any individual, human individual to say. Jesus wasn't a, a normal human individual. Verse 13, <clears throat> verse 12, he says, if I have told you earthly things, like the whole process of coming into relationship with God, right, and you don't understand it, how am I going to, imagine if I was to tell you lofty things, like heavenly things. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven, right, to get the lofty stuff and come down and explain it, except the one who descended from heaven, that's me, Jesus, right? Now, what he does is, Jesus is speaking earthly stuff to Nicodemus, he doesn't get it, and he's talking about the process of new birth. What Jesus recognizes is that John, that Nicodemus, what Jesus recognizes is that Nicodemus isn't getting it, so then what Jesus does is he switches and he says, okay, I'm not going to talk about the process, I'm going to talk about that which took place to enable the process to happen. You're obviously lost on the process, bro. So look, let me take a step back and maybe let me hit this from another angle in the hope that maybe, you know what I'm saying, you begin to at least understand what you don't understand. And then Jesus says this, right, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the world, it's like Jesus takes Nicodemus back to children's church. Like, who don't know this story? You know what I mean? He says, as Moses lifted up, you remember when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Nicodemus? So must the Son of Man be lifted up. Do you remember back in the day we used to sing a song? Higher, 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 higher. Lift Jesus higher. Now, what, what we used to mean by singing that song, yeah? Started, so you've got to finish it, innit? Um, is we thought if you sing loud and proud, then you're lifting up Jesus. And people who are listening in the congregation who see Jesus lifted up high and exalted like through our praise. Now that is nice and it's good, but that's not what this is talking about. You know what I'm saying? What is this talking about? This is talking about the crucifixion. This is talking about Jesus being lifted up on the cross. That's what this is. Now, for us, we look back and we get it. Poor Nicodemus, he don't even know, like, the cross, like, lifted up. Like, what, like if anything, the poor brother's more baffled. <laughs> but this isn't written just for his benefit. It's also written, obviously, for our benefit, you know what I'm saying? And also the Old Testament, upon whom the ends of the earth have come, is written for our understanding. So, Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What a picture. What, a, what an unusual picture. 
I understand Jesus being the word of God. Like John 1 referring back to Genesis 1. God in the beginning, part of the triunity, right? Let us make man a little further, Genesis 1.26. I understand Jesus at the creation being the word of God. I understand Jesus being the picture of a goat. Remember the scapegoat who gets released, you know what I'm saying? And then a goat who gets slaughtered as the sins of the people are communicated to that innocent victim. I understand that. I understand Jesus as the Lamb of God, humble, meek, and mild. You ever seen a, a, a lamb being slaughtered? Uh, completely opposite to a pig being slaughtered. The pig is kicking and squealing and the lamb will just lay there. Humble, silent before its shearers. Well, that's when they're shearing it, apart from when they're killing it. I understand Jesus as the lamb. I understand Jesus as the temple, a building, strong, a place of meeting with God, associated with worship. I get that, but Jesus depicted as a serpent. Now, where's the story that this is taken from? Anybody know? When the children of Israel are in the wilderness, right? Numbers chapter 21. It says, from Mount Hor, they set out. Remember, they'd been delivered out of Egypt and now they're traveling through the wilderness. It says, from Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became, notice, how? Impatient on the way. Just note that. And then the people did what? They spoke against God and against Moses, God's representative. And they say, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? That's both of you. You obviously are the one who led us here, Moses, on the basis of God telling you to lead us. Why? You know what I mean? Have you brought us up into this wilderness to die? For there's no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless food. I mean, it's not... It, it. Verse 6, then the Lord sent, as a result, notice, fiery, and I was really struggling with what fiery meant, but I got it there in parenthesis for you. It actually means poisonous. Fiery or poisonous serpents among the people, you know. Who sent the serpents? As a result of what? Their sinfulness. Was it righteous that that God would judge them for their, un, their, their ingratitude and their complaining against his servant and against fundamentally against God? And they bit the people so that many people of Israel, what? Died. And the people came to Moses and said, Moses, boy, we've sinned for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Would you pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us? And Moses said, serve you right. Pray for what? I'm not praying for none of you. <laughs> he didn't say that. He didn't say that. I would have said that. And it says, <clears throat> so Moses prayed for the people. He interceded, didn't he? He mediated on their behalf. Verse 8, and the Lord said to Moses, Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. Everybody's infected by, by, by snake bite. But on the basis of Moses interceding, God provides them an antidote. And all they got to do is what? All they got to do is look, verse 9. <clears throat> Everyone who sees it, verse 8, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live and not die. Live, not die. What did the people do in verse 4 and 5? They sinned. They were impatient against God and God's servant Moses. Now, historically, <clears throat> where have you seen this happen before? That is a serpent. Now, what's a rod made of? Maybe I'm pushing it slightly, but bear with me. What's a, what's a rod made of? Right, and uh, made of wood. And Moses had a rod 
this is the next thing I ain't got time for, right? Remember, Moses had a rod, and then it turned into a what? All right, we ain't got time to go there, right? But think, <laughs> but, but think about this, right? Where have you seen wood that comes from a what? Where you get wood from? A tree. Where have you seen a tree or wood and a serpent before? All right, this is called biblical theology, right? We see in the Old Testament another occasion where this was recorded, right? The, fir the first recorded negative snake incident. And I never saw it like this picture depicts. Now, we can't, we can't say for certain that the snake was, was wound around a tree like this. But how many of you know, we know that there was a tree. And we know that there was a serpent. Am I lying? All right, then. Amen. No, no heresy, right? Okay. But notice the difference. It wasn't, it wasn't people the first time. It was actually a snake or snake-type character, right? Let's read the account briefly. Now, the ser there's a distinction. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? I want you to notice carefully what he's doing here. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. He didn't say that part. He did say, don't eat it, lest you die. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And from that moment, Eve and Adam are both contaminated, infected with a disease, metaphorically speaking. Is that not true? So what you have here is a snake speaking against God. Can you see that? And then you have very foolish humans agreeing with the snake, and also showing impatience, grasping for something like they want it now, as if they never already had it. They already were made in the image of God. They already were like God. But can you still see their impatience? Appropriating something that was forbidden, but also attempting to appropriate something in an illegitimate manner. Righteously, God responds by executing a threefold curse on the land, on the woman, then on the serpent. And in Numbers 21, we saw, notice it was a snake speaking against God in Genesis 3. We just read in Numbers 21, people impatient and speaking against God. And then infected by a snake bite as a result, leading to what? Can you see the parallel? In Genesis 3, we see a snake speaking against God metaphorically. Deceiving them to sin, resulting in death. Now, what's the result of the sin in both examples? Death. Something crazy in Isaiah 6. Again, I'm not going to try to break it down. I'm just going to flag it up and tease you with it. You know what I'm saying? The Hebrew word, you know, remember in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up? Do you remember that? Who was it that came along and all of a sudden started singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come? Thank you. Seraphim. Now, you know, I am is a plural ending. So the word is seraph, but there's loads of them. <laughs> you know, this word seraph, right, describes these angelic creatures that seemed to be serpent type because that word seraph is the same word that's used for fiery serpents. And these could potentially be serpent looking creatures, but guess what they got? They're different in that they got six wings. 
And what they're doing is they're doing the opposite to what the serpent in the garden did. They're doing the opposite to what the children of Israel did. They're speaking, but what they're saying is godly and it's righteous and it doesn't contradict God's will or his purpose, right? In response, notice in the text of Isaiah 6, in response, Isaiah, what does he do? What does he say? He confesses his sinful speech and the sinful speech of his people. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of an, a, a, a people with unclean lips. And in one sense, Isaiah is guilty before God, but he never realized it until he realized it. And when he realizes it, he realizes that he deserves nothing but judgment and execution. And does God execute him on the spot? He deserved it though, right? He doesn't. What, what happens? One of the seraphs gets a coal, touches his lips, which is again brought by one of these fiery angelic winged serpent type creatures. And again, I'm referencing it. I'm not really sure, if I'm honest, how it all actually fits together. But what we see consistent with John 3, consistent with Numbers 21, in terms of sinful speech, fiery serpent-type creatures. But there's something that I've not highlighted. One of the things we see is when... When the, when, the, when the seraph touches Isaiah's lips with the coal, what happens to him? He's, he's forgiven. He's cleansed of his sin, right? Wow. Did Isaiah deserve to die for his sinful speech? We've already said yes. Did Adam and Eve in the garden, because of their sinful behavior in light of the, the serpent's sinful speech, did they deserve to die? But did they? No, God covered them with animal skins. He showed them grace. Did the Israelites, who also had unclean lips, complaining against Moses, and particularly God, did they deserve to die? Yes, and they started to die until Moses cried out, God showed mercy and grace and he forgave them, but they deserve to die. Now, obviously, I can't say all that without saying, do we deserve to die? Amen. Yes, we do. Because we also have unclean lips. We have sinful speech. We are impatient. And there's a, there's a litany of other things on that list that contribute to our justified destruction. And the thing is, <clears throat> we will die. Because in the same way Adam and Eve were infected by that disease called sin, it was temporarily suspended, but eventually they died, and the same is going to happen to us. Do you realize that? You know, some do realize it, but some don't. I remember a time in my life when I didn't realize that I was contaminated. I didn't realize I was infected with a virus. And I'm so, I, I, was, I was with some people last night who went out raving, doing their thing, and, and I'm saying, and they never, they haven't got, no, I say they haven't got a clue. They're living in a way that seems as if they've never really contemplated the issue of physical death and spiritual death. It's like eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we're going to die. So they understand they're going to die, but the way they see death is YOLO. You only live once, so knock yourself out, right? Rather than saying, okay, when I do die physically, what happens beyond that physical death? Like I said, I remember a time when I didn't realize that, and I was those young people raving. Was that you at one point in your life? Can you remember back? And it's crazy because God graciously revealed to me this issue of death and my sin 
that contributes to that death. And it was a little bit like, it was a little bit like my sister who didn't realize she had Huntington's disease. She always had it, but she didn't realize. And when she became aware of it, how many of you know everything changes at that point? And, you know, I don't know if you know, but Huntington's disease is actually hereditary. So it's something that runs in the family. And if your dad has Huntington's disease, you have a 50-50 chance of contracting it. And she's my sister. He's my dad. So I potentially have a 50-50 chance of contracting Huntington's disease. At this point, I don't know. I've not had the test. But how many of you know, if I and you and we all had a test to see if we had a disease called sin, we'd all be in trouble, right? It'd all be, neg it'd all be positive. It, no, it'd actually be negative, but it would be positive that we got the disease, but it'd be negative that we got the disease, right? And this disease we have is inherited. It's hereditary. We got it from our great-great-great-great-grandfather, Adam, and his wife, Eve. Do you have a spiritual disease that you may not necessarily be aware of? And it's a fatal spiritual disease. Actually, <clears throat> the result is double death. Well, John 3 gives you hope. John 3 gives me hope. It gives us hope, even beyond any kind of physical condition that we may or may not have. Because even if we ain't got no illness, no fatal illness, how many of you know? One day, even if, even if you're dead in your sleep, you know what I mean? Like natural causes. We don't even know why they pass. That day, ultimately, eventually, is going to come, right? And John 3 gives us hope. Have you ever been seriously ill? Anybody? I mean, anyone in the room, please put your hand up. If you've been seriously ill. Thank you, sister. Thank you, my brother. My sister, Amen. You know what I mean? And if you've ever been seriously ill, yeah, and you're in the middle of nowhere, hopeless, but how do you feel when you're seriously ill and you hear, and the ambulance pulls up outside? I remember at the beginning of this year, some of you guys know, um, I've got an autoimmune disease, right? It's called urticaria, and it flares up now and again. I never know when it's going to hit me. And um, when it hits me, it pretty much takes me out for about six weeks. But on top of my urticaria, which is what they call idiopathic, that means they don't know why you get it, um, I had this next thing with my back. I don't know if you guys remember. And it, it, it mashed me up so much, I ended up in hospital. And the morning, I remember when my urticaria hit, it was about four o'clock in the morning. And you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a man, like... Well, I suppose, I'm a man flu, innit? I suppose men are big babies, innit? I'd like, I was going to say I'm not a baby when it comes to illness, but I know all of you is going to be like, yeah, right, whatever. So let me just say it, innit? But um, about four o'clock in the morning, I nudged Helen, and I said, honey, you know what? I think, I think I'm going to have to take, what's my thing called, honey? I forget the thing. The um, EpiPen. I, got an, I, got, I have to walk with this EpiPen. It's a shot of adrenaline, and I've never had to use it. But what happens is I get these swellings and they come up all over my body. The danger is when it's with your throat that starts to swell, because if it swells up so much, you can't breathe and you die. And my throat started swelling. I said, honey, I, w I didn't want to wake her up. I woke her up. I was like, honey. And she was like, Robert, get, where's your EpiPen? Got my e she said, don't take it now. I said, I'm going to take my She said, don't take it now. I'm, I'm, I'm dying. Really? She's like, let's go down, get dressed. Let's go downstairs, then take it. And, we, and we'll call the ambulance in the meantime. So wisdom in it. So got dressed. <laughs> um, Went downstairs, long story short, um, jabbed myself with the EpiPen, took the shot of adrenaline, it started to kick in, but I couldn't feel, I, I, I couldn't feel nothing. Helen's called the ambulance, and we're sitting there, we're waiting, and I'm thinking, rah, Lord, you know what I mean? Is this it? Am I coming home? I'm on my, on my way home now. And in one sense, I was like, if it is what it is. In another sense, I was like, boy. Am I actually ready to go? Am I ready to die and leave my family? I, have, I, I got no grandkids. I like, you know, all of these things go through your mind like a million things at once, right? And, I'm think, and, then, and all of a sudden I hear, nah, 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 and the ambulance comes. 
that's the long story short. My point is, when I heard the ambulance coming, although I didn't know I was going to make it, man flew, right? I was like, I was like, at least, you know what I'm saying, like, here comes, you know what I'm saying, those who know what to do in situations like this. They only dropped me on my head when they took me out of the, dropped me, on, dropped me on my back, not my head, dropped me on my back when they took me through the door, but that's the next thing. Um... I had this bad mind thought go through my mind. When, when, when they took me over the threshold, yeah, and they dropped, like, they, there was someone at the back, they weren't holding me good, and they tripped. So instead of them falling over and hurting themselves, they went to brace themselves, innit? And dropped me. <laughs> dropped me. But the thing is, I cannot even lie, I never, I, I never hurt, I wasn't hurt or nothing. You know what I'm saying? And a thought went through my mind, I thought, rah, I should have just went, oh! <laughs> And be able to claim, like, I don't know, a million pounds or something. <laughs> you know what? I broke my ankle in the adventure playground in Dulwich when I was, when I was 18. And I look back on it and I think, and you know how I broke it? I was swinging on the border swing. Bertram, where's Bert? Bertram going to start flagging me up and start coughing in a minute? The long stories. And, the board, and, and, and four people jumped on. The rope snapped. And I broke and I dropped and broke my ankle clean. Had to take me to, hit, nah, 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 nah. here comes the ambulance again, take me to um, King's College Hospital. If I didn't know back then, what? I, I mean, Pastor Patrick never worked. He wasn't managing the adventure playground at them time. How could I sue the adventure playground? Oi, man wouldn't be struggling out here now. You know what I mean? Like, oi. But it was too late for me to ball out. And it, was, it would have been sinful because I never hurt myself. I'm saying, you know what it feels like when you hear the ambulance coming. Well, go on, Ayo. Bro, congratulations, by the way, bro. I'm set. Now, now, notice. You see the ambulance there, right? Come to the rescue. Can you see, can you see a sign on the, on the ambulance? Can you see the sign on the ambulance? Let me superimpose it for you. John chapter 3 gives us hope. You know, you know what that's called? It's called the star of life. And it's on every ambulance. You know what I'm saying? It's one of the, it's one of the symbols that the health service use. The star of life. Yo. I mean, this is one of the things that proves that this country used to be a Christian country. You know, as I was looking through, the, through pictures to try and find a picture of the ambulance, a lot of them don't have the symbol on there no more. And I think progressively over a process of time, you won't be able to find it, but me find it. <laughs> and I got it now. It's, amen. It's indelibly etched into the, the megabytes of my hard drive. I need to back up my laptop saying that. Where am I? John 3 gives us hope. He says, Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him, what, like looking at the serpent back in Numbers 21, yes, but by believing in him, they may have not just life, but eternal life. See, in a very mysterious way, Jesus on the cross like that bronze serpent on a wooden pole. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, speaking of Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Oh my gosh. That's, he, that's Genesis 3, that's Numbers 21, and John 3 all rolled into, into one. Yo! How could Jesus be that ugly-looking serpent? Poisonous. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 says, Bertram got it. Our Savior, Christ Jesus, look what he did. He abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. How? Through the gospel. How many of you know that's good news? If you're sick, you be like the ambulance coming, yo, that can't compare to this. This is great news. 
1 Corinthians 15 says, what happened to death? Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, look, where's your victory? <laughs> you can hot up death. Where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. We know that. And the power of sin is the law that upholds that. Yes, you deserve what comes as a result of your sin and it's judgment, right? But notice, thanks be to God who gives us the victory, what, over death? Wow. What, over, what, over, 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 over the serpent? Genesis 3.15. But thanks be to God, the gratitude, not ingratitude, who, to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Last verse, Colossians 2, last, second penultimate verse. And you, penultimate verses, verse 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses, talk about sick. <laughs> the sickness done already take effect. You're dead spiritually. But God made you alive. How many can testify to that? How many of you know what, what Nicodemus didn't know? I know? You know what it means to be born again. You know, a brother back in the day called Barry Smith used to say, if you're born once, you die how many times? Twice. If you're born, if you're born twice, you only die once. If you're born naturally and you don't get born again, here comes physical death and on the back of that spiritual death. But if you're born twice, born naturally, but then you're born again spiritually, you only die once. No hallelujahs. No praise the Lord. It's all good. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. I'll say it. I'll say it for you. How is this now appropriated to you and me? In Numbers, what did you have to do in Numbers to get healed of the snake bite? Just look at the serpent on the pole, but believing in, in God, right? Because it weren't the, did you know, years later, Israel kept this serpent on the stick and were worshiping it. The prophet called it Nehushtan. And he said, bring that thing out here and let, let me destroy it. Because for decades, they were now worshiping. You weren't supposed to worship it. You know what I'm saying? It's supposed to be a picture that, that points to the one who you put your ultimate trust in. See, it was by believing God and looking at the poisonous serpent on the pole. Right? It was by believing in God and looking at the poisonous serpent on the pole. Here in John 3, it's by looking at and believing in the poisoned Savior. Because how many of you know Jesus took our sin? The Bible says he became, he was made sin. Did Bertram quote it? For us, in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Yo. The next three verses of John say, and this is what I started the, the, the service with last week, because I had this in my mind. I was going to share this. Like, how was I going to share this? Like, five minutes before the service. So I just shared John 3.16, because this is the verses that now come after what we just talked about. Remember, Nicodemus needs to be born again. Huh? Oh, you don't understand the process. All right, let me tell you about something that's going to happen that's going to affect, bring about that process, which is me dying on the cross. Remember, Nicodemus still never got that. Why? Verse 16, for God so loved the world. This is why? That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God, notice, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Remember, this is good news. You have to understand the bad news. I told you the bad news about the sickness. But this is good news. God did not send his son into the world to condemn you, but in order that you might be saved through Jesus. The sacrifice, the one who took your sin, so you could have your lips touched by the coal, cleansed and forgiven. Whoever, notice, whoever, black or white, young or old, rich or poor, old and young, whoever believes in him is not condemned, although we deserve to be. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because, why? They've already, they, remember, they've got the illness. They've got the virus. And, it's, and, it, and, it, and it will 
And it's because he, has, he or she has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I'm going to invite the team to come up. Would you pray along with me? Snake bite. <clears throat> Genesis 3:15 says, And I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Father, thank you. In light of such terrible circumstances in the garden, because of the serpent and the resulting sin of our parents, Adam and Eve, every human has been infected by that sin. And as a result, we face the penalty of double death. But thank you, Father, that even then, three chapters in with that drama Facing the human race, you made a promise that you would send the seed of the woman. There's no woman that has seed apart from one woman who was immaculately conceived and by the Holy Spirit, she brought forth a son. That woman had the seed that this verse speaks about. And thank you that that seed was Jesus. We speak about it at Christmas, Father. And Jesus comes at Easter, but comes at Christmas, then he dies at Easter. He becomes that serpent on the pole, imbibed with our sin, in order that we might receive his forgiveness, his righteousness, and his forgiveness as a result. Thank you. Thank you, Father, that you sent us a Savior who, who comes in the likeness of sinful flesh to pay the penalty, bring in death, bring in life instead of death. Thank you. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you for giving us an antidote to the snake bite. Amen. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.